Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to those of you who are here in our West service, those of you who are tuning in online, those of you who are over in our East service. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. My name is Ken. I'm one of the pastors here at CCC, the pastor of Group Life, and I also do some work in our marriage ministry. Uh, We have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to preaching pastors here. We've got Pastor Joe, we've got Pastor Zach, we've got Pastor Jim, we have Pastor Mike who preached last week. I'm not those guys. But here's what I've learned from those guys. If nothing else, I got to do two things. Two things. Number one, preach the Bible. And number two, have three points. So that's what I'm going to do. What are we talking about today? Well, as many of you know, last week we wrapped up a series on prayer. And in two weeks, we're going to pick up with a new series. And that leaves us with two standalone Sundays. Well, look, if, uh, if you're going to give the group life guy a blank slate to talk about anything, particularly with circles, which is what we call our small groups, with circles launching next week, what do you think I'm going to talk about? Community. We're going to talk about community this morning, and uh, we're going to use that passage that we just heard as our guide. And we're going to do it, of course, using three points. And here they are. Number one, the kind of community we want. Number two, the kind of community we get. And then number three, the kind of community we can have. So the community we want, the community we get, and the community we have. Let's talk first about the kind of community we want. If we look back at the passage that we heard this morning, Acts 2.42 through 47, for context, this is a passage on the formation of the early church. And we're going to get into this more later. But on first read, if we look at this passage, we can see that whatever else is going on, this community is working. It's good. And so we read this and we, we zoom out, and then I think we have to ask ourselves, what makes this community work? And then more broadly, what makes any community work? What makes any good community worth it? I want you to think for a moment about the best community that you've ever been a part of. Whether it's your family, or it's a team, or a project at work, a social cause, whatever it is, think about the best community that you've ever been a part of. What it was like, what it felt like, and then ask yourself, what made it worth it? I think for a community to be the kind of community that we want to be a part of, for it to be worth it, 
two things need to be true. First, we want to be ourselves. And second, we want to be about something bigger. In other words, we want to be ourselves, but not just about ourselves. Let me, let me unpack those. Let's talk first about wanting to be ourselves. Look, we're all individuals. We all have strengths and giftings and skills and passions, and we want to bring those things to whatever it is we do. We want to bring those into community. We don't want to be twisted or misshapen into something that we're not. We want to come as we are. Let me offer something true and some would say embarrassing about me that makes me an individual. I like to direct, not movies, no. I like to direct music. Like this whole thing, I enjoy doing that. I was a drum major for two years in high school. No big deal. You can hold your applause. I had a cape. I had a plume. The whole thing. I went, somebody's laughing. I, I don't, this isn't funny. It's who I am. I went to directing camp twice. That is a thing. I went to it twice. I won not one, but two directing awards. Thank you very much. Thank, now we're talking. Yeah. Keeping that on my resume, that's a big deal. Uh, and a few years ago, a few years ago, my wife Jamie and I attended a concert at Blossom. And uh, the, the Cleveland Orchestra was covering a number of John Williams uh, scores, movie scores. If you don't know who John Williams is, he is the greatest, the greatest uh, movie score composer of all time, bar none. Yeah, heard a couple of mm hmms. That's right. Uh, E.T., uh, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Jaws, the list goes on and on. And I'm at a concert listening to the Cleveland Orchestra cover those themes, and I am in my glory. And at one point, my wife, and this is important, she didn't know me in high school. So we're about to get to what we call in our marriage new material. This is a new material. She looks over at me. I am sitting in my seat. Yeah, just directing. I'm living the dream. And she's just staring at me. And I look at her, I'm like, babe, this is who I am. You know, take it or leave it. This is me. But, but the truth is, no matter how esoteric or, again, some would say embarrassing our passions, we, we want to be ourselves, don't we? But not just that. We want to be part of something bigger. We want to aim at something greater that, than ourselves. The easiest example of this is a sports team, or so I've heard. I was busy directing the marching band. Uh, but whether, whether it's a family unit, right, whether it's a project at work, whether it's a community initiative, whatever it is, we want to be part of something bigger. Before coming to full-time ministry, I spent several years as a practicing attorney, and I had the opportunity to be part of some really big cases with significant implications. And I can still remember being in the room with a number of other attorneys as we all aimed for the same thing. We were all looking at one desired outcome, one goal. And I got to tell you, that felt good. It felt electric because it wasn't about me. It was about something bigger. And we all want that. That's what we want in community. We want to be ourselves, but not 
about ourselves. But what do we often get? Well, that leads to my second point. That kind of community, that kind of community is really, really hard to find, isn't it? Let's talk first about just being ourselves. Sometimes you just simply can't be yourself in community. You're so completely stripped of who you are, everything that you are, you just become a cog in a machine. And if it's not you, it's whoever's next. Next man up, next woman up. Or maybe, maybe you have to change some part of yourself to try to fit. I am from Parma. Actually, I'm from Seven Hills, which is fancy Parma. Same schools, we run in the same circles, we just like put Gouda on our pierogies. And, and here's the thing, and th- th- this is, I- I'm not kidding about this, I-, I have been in conversations with people who, upon learning where I'm from, my old stomping grounds, they treat it like it's a terminal illness. Oh, you're, you're from Parma. I'm so sorry. Come visit, you'll love it. I know you'll love it. But, but whether, whether, it's, uh, whether it's where you're from or who your family is or, or what you look like, there are things that make up who we are that we feel pressure to hide, to shed, to change in order to be accepted, whether it's by our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, our neighbors. We just can't be our full selves. And I think that's because of two things, two things going on here. Number one, life is messy. Life is messy, isn't it? You know, my wife and I have built our family through adoption. It's been a long process. It continues on even now. But that process started when I was still practicing law at my firm. Adoption is a messy business. It takes all sorts of twists and turns. Never knew when I might be pulled out of the office at a moment's notice. And look, my my firm was great. But I knew that at best, that sort of mess was tolerated. It didn't add value. I knew that. I I felt that. The truth is that our messy lives aren't really welcome in the workplace. They're not welcome in the boardroom. Some of you don't even feel like your messy life is welcome at home with your spouse or with your kids. You feel such pressure to have it together, to present yourself in a certain way to those around you, having all the answers, that it's crushing you. And let's be real, our lives are messy, but our hearts are messy too. We have a lot going on in here. I have a lot going on in here. Going back to my adoption example, that process was messy, but my heart especially at the front end of that process, was really, really messy. I was processing anger and grief at the idea that my wife and I would never get pregnant. I was angry at God. I was embittered. I felt a serious sense of entitlement to have the family I wanted on my terms in my own way. That's not workplace material. But my heart, our hearts, are messy. And again, we don't get to take that mess with us. Nobody really wants that mess. Because here's the reality. In most areas of our lives, whether it's 
whether it's our families or our workplaces, wherever we are, our mess threatens to break the community. We think to ourselves, and maybe some of you are thinking it right now, if my spouse really knew who I was, if my kids really knew everything about me, if my coworkers, my neighbors, my friends really knew who I was, they'd never accept me. It is hard to find a place where we can be ourselves. What about being part of something that's bigger than ourselves? You know, I asked you uh, a couple of minutes ago to think of the best community that you've been a part of, and, and maybe it had this. But if you're thinking back on this, a time when this was true, when you were part of something bigger than yourself, it's because it ended. It was really good, but as good as it was, it didn't last. By the way, if you're here saying to yourself, that hasn't happened to me, give it time. It will. I was talking with a member about this a week or so ago, and and he provided what I think is a deeply theological but highly topical example of how this is true, the Cleveland Browns. All right, so you go to a Browns game. You enter the stadium. We're going to put you in the dog pound because where else do you really want to be? Now you're in the dog pound, and everybody there is about the Browns. Everybody. You're of one mind. It is electric. It is incredible. And uh, we don't just cheer for first downs anymore because hopefully we're not just that kind of team anymore, but I guess we'll see. But let's say that we win. We win. What happens? Well, we straight up get weird with total strangers, don't we? <laughs> we're like giving high fives to this guy. We're, we're hugging this guy. We're, we're screaming to, to our horse next to this woman. It is, I mean, we're living the dream. And then what happens? We go to our cars. And all of a sudden, that guy that you were high-fiving, now you're shaking your fist at him because he's blocking the exit. And that woman that you screamed alongside until you were a horse, you're screaming at her because she's not following that you go, then I go, then you go, then I go pattern that most of us don't even follow anyway. It ends. As good as it is, it ends. Those cases that I mentioned that I worked, they ended. Seasons end. Careers end. Parents grow older. Kids grow up. When it comes to the causes that we get swept up in, whatever they are, there is an inevitable letdown at some point. Whether it ends well, like in a Browns Super Bowl, or it doesn't end so well, it ends. So what can we do? What can we do? Where can we find Where can we find a community where we can fully be ourselves but not about ourselves? Because maybe we can fully be ourselves. We can't find that that bigger something. It doesn't last. Or or we find that bigger something, but it strips us all the way or it forces us to change who we are or hide who we are. And even even if you could grab it just for a moment, you find that perfect community, it is but a glimpse. You can't hold it. It doesn't last. So what do we do? Does that kind of community even exist? Well, that leads us back to this passage of Acts. And my third point, the community we can have. Again, we know that this community in Acts chapter 2 is good. But why? What is making it so good? I think it's because it's comprised of people who are fully themselves, but not just about themselves. I think that's actually happening here 
Let me show you what I mean. We learn earlier in this chapter that the early church uh, was formed directly after 3,000 Jews from every nation on the earth, uh, hearing the gospel of Jesus, responding in faith and being baptized. And then directly after that, the early church was formed. And as they formed, they came alongside each other and they did life together. They were selling and distributing and giving to those as any had need. So at a minimum, here's what we know about that first church. We know that it consisted of people from different regions who spoke different languages and who had varying economic needs. And yet they came together. They're not all the same. They're not not all just cogs in the machine. They're not hiding who they are. To the contrary, they are pressing into each other in every area of their lives. And by the way, if you read on through Acts and you read on through the balance of the New Testament, the church does not get less diverse. You don't get less individuals coming. You only get more. And so it is today in the church and in this church. Here today, God is weaving a tapestry together of individuals, radically different individuals, ethnic differences, cultural differences, economic differences. You name it, he's bringing it together. And we don't have to lay that down. You know, the early church didn't have to set aside the things that made them who they were, and neither do we. You know, so often, I want to say we here, I'm going to say I, so often I live with this fear that if I, if I trust Jesus with something, some area of my life, he's going to somehow diminish me. He's going to strip me or rob me of who I am. But do you know what the Bible says? Do you know what God says about you? He says that you are individually and immeasurably valuable. The psalmist in Psalm 139 speaks of us being fearfully and wonderfully made. It's Jesus who made you. It's Jesus who knows you, all the good parts of you and the not-so-good parts of you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. That's how much you're worth. That's your value to him. And here's here's the amazing part. Because Jesus created us, he knows exactly who we were intended to be. And he wants to bring us back to that. He died to bring us back to that. So in Jesus, we, we don't become less ourselves. In Jesus, we become more ourselves than we could ever dare to imagine. And if you believe that, if I believe that, if you believe that, as the early church believed that, then you can trust him with everything, just as the early church did. That he's worth rallying behind. That he's worth coming together despite differences, despite messiness in our lives, in the lives of of others, Because if we can trust that Jesus saw us as worth dying for, then we can trust that he is worth living for. And we see the early church doing just that, living for Jesus, rallying around Jesus. 
So yes, they were very different from each other. But the gospel of Jesus was the bonding agent. Whatever, whatever would otherwise separate them, they had Jesus in common. And he was the focus of everything they did. If we look at this chapter, we see that he is woven into everything they did. They devoted themselves to hearing the word. They were growing in their understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. They were uh, fellowshipping together. They were breaking bread together, most likely a reference to communion. They were praying for each other. They were meeting needs. In other words, they were being the hands and feet of Jesus. They were living out in obedience by loving each other, caring for each other, and they found favor with all the people. Meaning that the gospel of Jesus was lived out in such a way, and community was held out in such a way that people who didn't even know Jesus were being drawn to him. That kind of community was so compelling that people were drawn to it. And ultimately, they were becoming part of it. Because we're told at the end of this passage that day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And in finding favor with all the people, in living community that way, the early church was acting on the command of Jesus. If we go back to Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus issues a command to his apostles to be his witnesses, locally, regionally, and to the ends of the earth. And the mission then is the same as the mission now. Be witnesses. To invite others into a community where you're welcome, no matter the mess, because you matter individually, immeasurably valuable to Jesus. And where you can be part of the redemptive, restorative work that he's doing. You can be part of his story. The mission of Jesus precedes us and it follows us. And unlike a career, unlike a social cause, unlike a Browns Super Bowl season, it doesn't end. And how do we know that? How do we know that we can trust that this sort of community does not end? Well, because in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus proves to us that he's worth trusting. He's worth rallying around. He conquered death. What else is there? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Peter writes this, and I think it encapsulates this so well. He writes that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Doesn't end. Doesn't end. And let's not miss this. This is important. We don't do it alone. Jesus doesn't ask us to do it alone. If we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to the commandment to be witnesses, it's so important to see how Jesus prefaces that commandment. Here's what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. See, the same Holy Spirit that made it possible for people from all over the planet to hear the gospel in their own language, the same Holy Spirit that brought radically different people together, marching under the banner of Jesus in that first church, is the same Holy Spirit that is at work today, making it possible for radically different, messy people like you and I to come together in true and lasting community. So we can own our messes. We don't have to hide them 
And we can get into the trenches with each other without judgment because we know in this community there's nothing we could ever do to earn our way in. Jesus paid the price of admission to get into this community, not us. He could and he did. So let's be honest about our mess because whereas in most other areas of our life, every other area of our life, our mess threatens to break the community, it will not break this one. When it comes to the church, when it comes to this community, our mess does not break the community. It makes the community because what is the church if not a collection of messes being made new in the finished work of Jesus and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit? I mentioned at the beginning of our time together that next week we launch circles, which is what we call small groups here at CCC. We define a circle as a unique gathering of individuals working toward a unified purpose. Just another way of saying, come as you are and be part of something bigger. Because we as a church are called to be, and in this church we are committed to be, the kind of community that we see here in Acts. To be growing as disciples. In circles, we talk about it this way. We talk about growing up, growing across, and growing out. What that really means is that, you know, we're growing up in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's up to, that we're growing across in how we care for and pray for each other, and that we're growing out by holding out the gospel of Jesus to those who don't yet know him, inviting them into community that lasts. And in committing to being a church like that, to being a community like that, centered around Jesus, we become the kind of community that we always wanted. So I ask you again, think back to the best community that you've ever been a part of. Remember how good it was to be fully yourself, to be part of something bigger. And now think about what it would mean for that to last. Because Christian, non-Christian, in Jesus, it can. And in Jesus, it does. So let's get in the trenches with each other, church. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's, let's come together in community around the finished work of Jesus and live out community in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. It happened in the early church, and it can happen right here and right now. Let's be a church like that. Let's do community like that. Is it hard? Yeah, it can be. Is it messy? You bet. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for making community, true and lasting community possible in Jesus. Help us to be the kind of church that lives out community the way you designed it, that you call us to. And in so doing, we pray, Lord, that you will be adding to your number day by day those who are being saved. In Jesus' name, amen.